Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Collective Cafe To Go. This is the podcast version of the Collective Cafe. Now, the Collective Cafe happens every single weekday, Monday through Friday, from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in Alpha Collective's Discord server, discord.gg forward slash alpha collective. It is free. It always will be free. There are no strings. There is no bait and switch. If you like to listen live and even participate, come onto stage, comment in our back chat, you can do that. Whether you're on the treadmill, getting the kids ready for school, getting yourself ready for work, commuting into the big bad city, or maybe just even commuting from your bedroom into your home office. On Monday, we manifest. On Tuesday, we talk thought leadership. On Wednesday, we have guests take the stage, almost like an open mic. On Thursday, we do live book reads and discussions. And then on Friday, it's No Agenda Friday, where there is no agenda. Start your day off on the right foot, on the front foot, with virtual coffee, with the Collective Cafe, where we mastermind, we manifest, we collaborate, we help one another at the business of Web3 or anything else that intersects, whether it's culture, collaboration, creativity, innovation, disruption. So give us a subscribe if you're listening on the podcast or come and attend one day. Remember, it is a safe, welcoming space and you will never, ever be put on the spot. This is the Collective Cafe to go. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is March 22nd. 2023 we are in wednesday it's wellness wednesday and uh i hope you're well i'm gonna try a little bit of background music today shadows pub tell me sometimes the um the voice gets a little obscured so if the voice if the tracks don't blend nicely together just let me know just thought it'd be nice to have a bit more music um we are going to talk about a couple of things today, but it's Wellness Wednesday. So if you have any ideas, topics, want to come up, chat with me, you're very welcome to. Uh, there is a POAP, of course. And um, just remind me to give you the code at some point. I'll give you the code at 8.30 in 27 minutes. Um, but if you have to leave in this time, just let me know and I'll tell you. Not meant to, uh, <clears throat> not meant to have any anxiety uh, whatsoever when it comes to Wellness Wednesday. Uh, so there are two things that I want to talk about. Um, first is uh, a post in my in the cafe chat, if you want to go and have a look at it. And the second is this idea of being on the right side of history and uh, be, being able to sleep with yourself at night. So here's the first. I'm going to read it to you. In Denmark, there are libraries where you can borrow a person instead of a book to listen to their life story for 30 minutes. The goal is to fight prejudice, 
each person has a title, unemployed, refugee, bipolar, etc. But listening to their story, you realize how much you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. This innovative project is active in 85 plus countries and it is called the Human Library. Wow. What do you think about that? What do you think about the idea of uh, borrowing a person instead of a book and understanding their story? I love it. Um, I think there are things that we can do with that. A lot of things we can do with that. I think, for example, um, I mean, I try and do that every day with my show, for sure. Um, I also think that, like, in Alpha Collective, um, every day we should allow another member to tell their story um, and give them 30 minutes, perhaps, or maybe even five minutes in coffee just to come in and tell their story. Um, What a beautiful idea Um, in terms of just... and. And there's something kind of interesting about, I mean, I'm just looking obviously at that card, but what I notice that's interesting about that card is, you know, the people have a, the story is called unemployed bipolar refugee. In a way, they are distilling their story to a word. Um, And I can, I've different, I've mixed feelings about that. You know, you should not be defined by a word. You should not be defined by uh, maverick, uh, avenger, warrior, um, healer. You know, it's almost like the archetypes. The hero, the villain, the outlaw, the everyman, the lover, the jester. Um, so so that that kind of, that, that makes me think. I, I don't want to say it rubs me up the wrong way or it irks me, uh, but it definitely... Um, I think we should never pigeonhole ourselves and we should never allow ourselves to be pigeonholed into when, into any one compartment. But it is the way the world works. You know, we've discussed, um, you know, reality television, of course, is anything but. You know, I was, I was, with, um, I was with someone at, at uh, South by Southwest. I think I told the story. And he said, oh, I just got an email from the casting director at Shark Tank. Like, that tells you a lot, casting director. You're not a cast. It's not a script. Um, this is you. This is your life. But you are being cast. You know, when you see um, uh, Penn and Teller, Fool Us, which I haven't watched. I don't even know if it's still on since we... It's not like we cut the cord, but you know, when we moved out of the house, the flood, and we moved back, we just haven't been bothered to. It's so complicated to connect everything, so we're like still paying for cable, um, but we really are just using Apple TV. Um, but yeah, we, I used to just have the TiVo to set Penn and Teller, but in every episode, and I don't think it's actually cast this way because they're very smart. They all wear the same clothes every single episode. Um, so if you watch that show, Alison Hannigan, she's always wearing the same clothes. Um, and so that way they can mix and match. But the way the show is put together and edited together, there are four acts. One fools Penn and Teller and the other three don't. It's very rare. Occasionally one in ten, maybe no one fools them, and occasionally maybe one in ten episodes. Not, not 
you know, so in an episode there are four acts or four performances, maybe two will fool them. And then occasionally every like quarter they'll bring back everyone that's fooled Penn Teller once and one of them will fool them a second time. But it's all cadence, it's all calculated, it's all synchronized. Same thing like reality television. You are, you know, no, you, you're the... You're the uh, transgender, you're cast as the gay, you're cast as the firefighter, the jock, the brawn, the brain, the nerd, um, the cougar, the, uh, you know, whether it's survivor, whether it's um, the bachelor, this is how it's done in order to create a bit of drama, in order to create, in some cases, to fill certain quotas, age, um, you know, gender, race, whatever the case may be, it is all deliberate and premeditated you are cast in a role whether you like it or not well actually whether you like it or not I mean that's the role you're applying for you may not know it if you don't know it it's even worse I suppose it's the rounders example when you sit down at a poker table look for the sucker and if you don't see the sucker get up immediately and leave because you are the sucker so the reality is we all live in roles we fill those roles whether we do that willingly or unwillingly, uh, grudgingly, knowingly, unwittingly, whatever the case may be. And so going back to this idea of the books, um, you know, you're sitting down and you're borrowing a person. You're saying, tell me the story, tell me, uh, tell me your story, but tell me the story that is called unemployed. And no doubt you will find out about why they're unemployed. They weren't always unemployed, no doubt right? I mean, the, the reality is that if you actually take the time to talk to someone who's unemployed, you're going to find out about them. You're going to find out that maybe they were active members of the military and, uh, and veterans. You're going to find out about how maybe they were swindled out of their life savings, um, how they were laid off. You're going to find out about what it took for them to typically go from being employed to unemployed, having a home to being homeless, having a family to not having a family anymore. You'll typically find out maybe about an addiction, about gambling, about drug usage, about mental health. And maybe you won't, maybe none of that will apply, but you will learn. And if you don't have empathy, you will have after that. Suddenly you'll never be able to look at a homeless person differently and you won't be able to look at a, an unemployed person. That person could go get a job. They could work hard. It's their fault trying to get a handout. They're lazy. But you never know what's going on behind the scenes. You never know what's going on. You judge the book literally by its cover like you judge humans by their cover. That's actually part of life. That will never go away. When you're on Tinder and swiping left and swiping right, not that I've ever done it, because I haven't. In fact, none of these dating apps even existed when I was dating. Um, I, I kind of like think it's easier now, by the way. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, I remember, you know, going into bars and doing my best to chat up a girl and, you know, Victory was getting her number, which, you know, typically 
when I called it was the uh, local police station. But whatever, and that's another story for another day. <laughs> it's, it, it goes back to, hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. Your number's still 911? All righty then. A little bit of Ace Ventura. But I, I kind of think it's an easier life now. You just go into Tinder. There's no risk anymore. Swipe, swipe, swipe. Like the look of them, don't like the look of them. You know what? Who gives, who gives a shit? I swipe a hundred times, nobody swipes back. I don't feel as rejected as, as the woman or the girl at the time who gave me the police station's number. And I had to like do the walk of shame back to my friends, probably all laughing at me. No, no points for being brave. It almost desensitizes you in this Tinder world, Tinderfied world, where there's no risk. There should be. There should be only have 10 swipes. I don't know. Maybe it does work that way. Maybe you pay per swipe. But it should work that way. There should be a, uh, a little bit of risk. It's, it's like throwing an event. Typically, when the event is free, people show up or they don't show up. There's no, there's no urgency. There's no, the, the stakes are so low. But when someone's paying for access, when someone's paying to be at an event, it's different little bit of, tiny little bit of alpha, tiny, April 27th, New York City, the official launch of Alpha Collective, throwing an event sponsored by Deloitte. You heard it here first. If you're in New York City, please come. You're invited. But it's a free event. And what I've found out historically, I've thrown events, I've put events together. I've put together these two uh, six and eight series, series creative roadshows called the battle for the heart in uh, 2004 2005 you can still even go to the website battleforthehart.com i think it's still up that's my little event battle for the heart and the a of art was capitalized i mean the a of heart because the whole idea was art and science left brain right brain that there was too much you know data analytics science in online advertising it wasn't enough creativity there wasn't enough um you know ideas and and originality so i put on those events and um in every location except for new york city we'd have 25 to maybe 30 percent fall off new york city 50 to 60 percent you have to get 50 to 60 percent more people than you have capacity for in a new york city event and you still probably will have space it's just the way it works because there's no price and because there's no price, you've got the ultimate safety net. You can show up or not show up. You really have to work hard when you put on a free event, like the Collective Cafe. You've got you to work hard. You have to make sure your content is good or better or great or, or maintain the level of, of consistency. Otherwise, people won't come. You know, they, there's, no, there's, no, um, there's no opportunity cost or opportunity lost of not showing up. So you go back to Tinder, you know, you swipe, swipe, swipe. You don't feel the rejection. But the point is, going back to the story today, is that you're just looking at the most superficial um, way to judge someone by their cover, by their look. Now, there are a couple of filters, make no mistake, just like when you walk through a library, the color of the book, the font, the cover of the, the, the actual cover of the book, the design of the book, let alone the name of the book. 
what section the book is in, business, nonfiction, fiction, bestsellers, new releases. But in the case of Tinder, I would imagine, again, I haven't been in, that immediately when you are swiping, you've already done some filtering in terms of maybe gender, in terms of age, in terms of whether they've been married or not, in terms of whether they're a smoker, uh, in terms of religion. But once you're inside of that filter, it just looks. It's the most superficial, you know, imaginable variable. She's cute. She's hot. She's sexy. She's she's my look, whatever. Or not for me. Nice, but not for me. Nice from far, far from nice, whatever. Whether you're a, you know, juvenile, immature, young man, or whether you're, you know, going through a midlife awakening, or whether you're in the twilight of your life. I don't know. Can you use Tinder if you're 65 years old? Maybe you can. So this is how life works. But then it's incumbent upon ourselves to go deeper. To say, all right, that was the first gate. Now let's take the time to get to know them. Now let's understand their story. And so in the case of the human library, and if you did come in, just have a look. It's in the cafe chat. This is a brilliant, brilliant concept. I want to find out if it's, if it's here in, in, in the U.S. or where it is. Maybe I'll even, um, I'll even um, suggest it to the local Westport Library. They would be all over this idea. It also takes a tremendous amount of vulnerability in terms of the book. Right, we're thinking about the concept of walking into the human library and borrowing, you know, and borrowing a shadow, an agent, a Tim, a C2M, a Billy, a Jensa, finding out about their story. Generic or, you know, having each of you come up with a with a title. Think about it. What would your what would your one word be? What would your story be? And of course, you know, we're not necessarily gonna go with refugee, unemployed homeless, bipolar uh, in this example, but what would your story be? Entrepreneur, maverick, um, immigrant. Like, What's the word that would describe you? What's the word that would get someone to take you out? And I don't mean like with a bat. I mean take, borrow you and spend 30 minutes with you to find out your story. Do you think your story is interesting? Do you think your story is compelling? Do you think that if somebody was to take you out and, and of course, borrow you in the book sense and you would tell them your story, that they would recommend you to friends, that you could change their life, that your story would have that effect on them? Because you should, because it is, because it does, 100%. Everyone has a story and everyone's story is life-changing because it is about their life at the end of the day. But what about if you're the book? What about the vulnerability of being able to come in and, and, and have a word on you that people can borrow you that says homeless, bipolar, refugee, unemployed, veteran, to be defined by that word, but also those words are so telling the vulnerability, the fragility, the transparency, the you know the the ability to open up to a stranger, 
in the hope that they not, maybe that they, you may never see them again, not in the hope that they'll judge you differently, but in the hope that they'll judge other people differently. I mean, there's so many con- thoughts that I have about this idea of the book and the book's cover and the person reading the book. I also think you have to be true to your story. You can't say, this is my story, and i got a fancy cover. But when you open up the cover, the book is a complete bait and switch. The story is inconsistent. The talk does not back up. The walk does not back up the talk. Many people like to create a story that isn't necessarily true, that is exaggerated, that is spun in different directions. But are you true to your story? And can your story change? Can your story change over time? Well, of course it can. In fact, I like to believe that my story is one that is layered, and those layers are chapters. And my pivot, for example, over the last three years has been one hell of a chapter. In fact, you know, I, I know that, that like I've been, um, every day I think about forever change, and I think, why haven't I finished this book? What happened? I wrote the book in three weeks, and then I handed it off to, to Sharon, and then she came back with edits, and then, I don't know, I just froze. I, got, I didn't get writer's block. I got editor's block. But I've basically written my story. What's holding me back now from telling that story? And that story in of itself is multi-layered. That whole story that begins a few years, for the most part, before COVID, from evolution through trying to reignite my speaking career to then COVID hitting to the launch of the show to open heart surgery. Guess what? The story now has to be updated because of my mom's passing. She never got to read the book. I really wanted her to read it because she was just all over it. But, you know, she is all over it now in a very different way, in a very uh, spiritual way. But even that story has chapters. And that story itself is a chapter. And I, I love that idea for us, for you, to think of yourself as going through these iterations and, and little mini journeys. And who you are today is different from who you were yesterday and who you will be tomorrow. But there's always a red thread. There's always a common thread. There's always something that, that connects the dots. So I couldn't take Bez's chapter 2 and then follow it up and then go straight to Christopher's chapter 3, Jens's chapter 4, Tim's chapter 5, my chapter 6. That wouldn't make sense. Although maybe just complete non sequitur, but maybe I need to write a book like Kaleidoscope on, on Netflix where you could read all the chapters in different orders. That's kind of cool. That would be a cool book. That would be a cool autobiography, don't you think? Or biography or just a book in general. Every chapter, you could read it in a different order and it would still be able to create the same um, end product. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. You don't have to start with piece one. You can start with any piece and eventually just build it. Still ends up the same way, but you take a different journey. 
There's lots of uh, extended metaphors today. So just some thoughts about this idea of um, every time you see a human being, and we've discussed this in the Collective Cafe, this idea that that our baseline is set to good, is set to kind, is set to, that's who we are at our core, at our default. But then things take us off course. And when we're having a bad day, we typically take that out on the people we love or even strangers. That homeless person, the person whose book we took out and understood who they were and how they came to be homeless. But a week later, we're having a really bad day. Our boss shouted at us. We had a fight with our spouse or our partner. We got a ticket. Something happened. Our, our sports team lost. And that homeless person walks up to us and we just brush them off or make up a lie. We don't have any money on us today or tell, us to stop, tell them to stop harassing us. We're off our baseline because we're having a bad day. It happens. So when we think about that for a second, that our default is set, is set to good, and yet things happen. And then we also corrupt. We also corrupt ourselves or we become corrupted. When we go too far down a path, we forget ourselves. We get lost. We're in too deep. We can't backtrace or backpedal. And maybe we can, but we just don't think we can. And maybe we can't. Maybe we are truly, at that point, lost. We've started to believe our own lies. Our version of reality has become our reality. And now the story isn't ours anymore. Now it's in the hands of someone else. Whether, the, whether that's the authority, whether that's the public, in many respects, that's what it is to be a celebrity. When you are now living the persona that has been created for you. How many times do you see a celebrity? I mean, you even saw it with, uh, you know, um, I mean, you see it all the time with, with comedians, the sad clown. Everyone sees them, they go, be funny, be funny. Make a joke. Be slapstick. And you see them as being very, very serious people, deadpan serious almost. And that confuses the hell out of everyone. How many times you'll have actors say, you know, I'm not actually that character, right? I'm not actually an evil overlord. I'm not actually a drug kingpin. I'm just an actor. Because even the people reading the story or viewing the story get lost in it. That's what happens when you get typecast in a good and a bad way. In a good way, you're the person that gets the job. In a bad way, you can't get other jobs because you're typecast in that story. But when you lose control of your story, you are lost. And... And now someone else is pulling the strings. Now, I've told this story myself about, um, you know, Project uh, Greenlight. And um, to me, Project Greenlight, it was Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. 
And essentially what it was was a reality show on HBO years ago, maybe 15 years ago, um, <clears throat> where let me maybe someone can put a link to it in the in the in the show notes. Um, and what they did, let's see, Project Green Light. Um, I think it says season four. Well, so um, so what they did was basically they here it is. I'll put the Wikipedia entry. Um, they got there were two different people, right? There was a, the screenwriter, someone that actually wrote the movie, and then there was a director, and they it was a like a reality almost competition to select the screenwriter and select the director, first time ever, and put them together, and then produce Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and produce that movie. But what you actually saw was how something that was pure, if you are the screenwriter, if you are the author of the story, specifically your story, right? You're in control. But in this case, just let's be literal. You wrote a play, you wrote a a novel, you wrote a book, you wrote a movie, and it's conceived as pure, you know, in your mind as possible. And now somebody takes it and they start to give you, the suits give you notes. Or in this case, a director comes aboard and they have their own vision in terms of how to interpret that story, how to bring that story to life. In a perfect world, you two are completely aligned. The director understands the vision and commits to, you know, to the integrity of that vision and to, and to allowing the author to be able to say, or the writer, this is exactly what I intended. But remember, there are more players, more chefs in the kitchen. There are the, the producers, the suits, that are more interested in, in bankroll and box office receipts. What's going to play well in the box office? What's going to play well in the theaters? What's going to play well with downloads and streaming? What's going to play well with the critics? And then, of course, you have the audience. And so what happens, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. Every day you move a little bit further away from where you intended until such time that you're completely lost. You're like, how did we end up here? This is nothing, nothing like what I intended it to be. Completely lost. No way back. This was one of the series, um, and I'll never forget it, um, with, um, what was the, what, I'm looking at the things uh, now. It was, it was a horror, um, and where is it, the actual one? Like, Feast, I think it was Feast. So uh, script submission began, and then it says, the selected screenplay was a horror script titled Feast. Um, it ended up starring Balthazar Getty, blah, blah, blah. The film ran f- The film ran for a special late-night showing on September 22nd and 23rd, 2006, almost a year after its premiere. So I guess it was like limited showing. Uh, Feast earned just under 690000 during its box office run, the DVD was released October 17, 2006, earning an additional $4.6 million. The film spawned two sequels, Feast 2, Sloppy Seconds, and Feast 3, The Happy Finish. Um, what was interesting about it? Now, you may look at that and say, I don't know. 
Uh, would you say 690,000 is successful? Would you say 4.6 million is successful? Maybe, maybe not. But the point about it was that it was a horror movie that suddenly became... Do you remember... I don't know if you remember a movie called uh, Fright Night, um, the original Fright Night. They just did a, a remake of it. It was a horror, but it had like comedic... It had... It was... It was here it is. 1985. It was a... Um, it was a... a like a cultish movie in many respects. Um, and I, I watched it. I remember I just put it into into the back chat as well. Uh, Fright Night, uh, who was in it? Uh, <clears throat> Roddy McDowell, Chris Saradin, William Ragsdale, Amanda Bierce, Stephen Jeffries, and Jonathan Stark, no one that you've probably heard of. Uh, um, the actual um, IMDb uh, summary says... <laughs> A teenager discovers that the newcomer in his neighborhood is a vampire. So he turns to an actor in a television horror show for help dealing with the undead. I mean, you know what's amazing about this movie, actually, Fright Night, is that I think it might have been the, the, the very beginning of this idea of a horror with comedic, you know, like Shaun of the Dead. All of that stuff probably followed uh, Fright Night. And I, I'm going down a, a little tangent. If I can bring this back, it'll be a miracle, but still, uh, just submit with me for a moment. So, you know, when you think about this idea, like Beverly Hills Cop, right? Another fantastic almost crossover. It was a, you know, it was a cop thriller. Like, you know, there was, like it wasn't slapstick at all, but it was hell of a funny. Don't you remember uh, Achwell, Achwell Foley going, uh, I was just wondering how much this costs and uh, bulky Batokamus, you know, from Perfect Stranger. He goes, 156000 He goes, get the fuck out. He goes, no, I'm serious. I sold it myself. And he would say to him, don't I, don't I make Achuel uh, espresso with, lem- with a lemon twist? It's cute. I made it my, like my friends and I would do this all the time, these impersonations. So there were these comedic components of Beverly Hills Cop. But yet it was a hell of a great thriller, cop thriller, you know. And and so Fright Night was that little crossover. Well, well, um, Feast became that, but it wasn't the screenwriter's intention. He wanted a horror, and it ended up becoming the slapstick kind of, you know, I don't know, Sharknado-y type of 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 uh, comedy. Now, did it do better than it would have? Maybe, maybe not. You know, does the screenwriter sleep well at night, saying this was true to my to my original vision? I would say maybe not, or although maybe with with some notoriety and maybe the money helped for him to check that at the door. Um, you know, I've had to think about that too. If I find a buyer for Joseph Jaffe is not famous and they go, yeah, one condition, I go, what? They go, we're changing the name. Do I say to them, hell no, non-negotiable, and lose the deal to be the pure artist? Or do I say, sure, no problem. What do you want to call it? Business talk, coffee talk, whatever, collective cafe, sure, whatever. I don't care what you call me as long as you call me. But bringing this all back to this idea, and 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 uh, the POAP, for those of you that jump or need to jump, and it's awesome, by the way, we're on nine uh, in here, nine people live at the, t- remember our goal is still 20, another 11 and we have ourselves nine days left. Can we do it? Can we do it? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Um, the POAP code is Storytime. 
one word today. Story time, one word. And that will be live for you, 8.59 a.m. to 9.14. I um, really love all of these um, these poems. I love to look at them in my wallet and just see how beautiful they are. And you know what's so nice about it too is you can go back at any time and match the poem to the conversation. Um, in fact, it might even help you sometimes. You'd be like, hey, like there's the one with the books. I remember we discussed stories um, and go and find that, uh, like, think about the poem could be like a really interesting trigger um, or, uh, or cipher to be able to find the specific episode if the content is matched to it. I typically go on little tangents, etc., and sometimes I don't even you know, discuss the, uh, discuss the original uh, concept. But today we are back at the point saying, when you are not in control of your story, someone else will be. And there is good and there is bad, right? One is when you submit to an audience, to a team, when you aren't the autocratic leader, you know, Chainsaw Dunlap, when you aren't the dictator, when you aren't the person that refuses to show that vulnerability or to project, you know, the wizard, the classic wizard of Oz behind the velvet uh, curtain with all the smoke and mirrors. But when you do allow yourself to submit to your friends, your family, people that care about you, your community, um, your company, um, you can evolve that together. You know, this is someone who asks for advice. This is someone who takes advice. This is someone who recognizes a, that they're flawed and that they're a work in progress, learning all the time. So that's the good part. But the bad part of it is when you become defined correctly or incorrectly by others. Now you're not in control at all. You might think you were in control, but you're not in control. And that to me is the sad. That book is written. That book is written. As they say, that chapter is written that book is, the, you know, what do you call it, chapter closed, book closed. Maybe there's a second book in the sequel. But don't put yourself in that position. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.